Today, Iran's supreme leader called still unexplained cases of sickness among Iranian schoolgirls an unforgivable crime. Iranian authorities say in the last three months, more than 1,000 girls have fallen ill in more than 100 schools. The incidents occurred as the regime cracked down on national protests and as Iran further accelerated its nuclear program. Nick Schifrin begins with the cases of mysterious illness across that country. They go to study and end up sick. Iranian schoolgirls gasping for air. Some, their symptoms so serious, taken away by ambulance. We don't want to die, they shout. In dozens of schools across the country, there has been chaos and fear. And hospitals near the schools are packed with young girls struggling with breathlessness and nausea. In most cases, students complained of a foul smell, then fell ill. It was PE class. When we went to the hall, we smelled something like perfume. I have severe numbness. I can't walk at all. The students all felt the same symptoms as me. They had coughs. Some of them said their eyes burned. The first suspected incident was reported in November in the holy city of Qom, south of Tehran. Now, Iranian officials admit suspected cases have spread to more than 20 of Iran's 31 provinces. Angry parents are taking to the streets in videos blurred to protect them from government retribution. This protest outside the Department of Education in Tehran. The next to be poisoned will be yours, they chant. It's still unknown who or what is responsible. The Iranian regime launched an investigation but has made no arrests or conclusions. Today, Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei broke his silence, saying those responsible would receive the death penalty. If there truly is vandalism and there are individuals or groups behind this matter, this is a great and unforgivable crime. The culprits must face the toughest of punishments because this is not a small crime. This is a crime against the most innocent part of society, meaning children. But the regime has targeted innocent children and thousands of demonstrators. Last year, Iranians launched their most widespread protests in more than a decade. They were led by women, many of them teenagers. The regime responded with force. Human rights organizations accuse authorities of using excessive force and killing hundreds of largely peaceful protesters, including dozens of children. Authorities have also imprisoned hundreds more on what human rights groups call dubious charges and issued dozens of death sentences. That has largely ended these demonstrations, but activists are calling for more protests tomorrow. For more on human rights in Iran and recent steps that Iran has taken to advance its nuclear program, we turn to Behram Ben Talablu, a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, a think tank in Washington. Thanks very much. Welcome to the news hour. Uh, today, a National Security Council spokesperson told me that the U.S. is calling for a, quote, credible, independent, outside of Iran, investigation into the schoolgirl incidents. Is that the correct approach? Pleasure to be with you, Nick. It is indeed the correct approach. Uh, as you know, there's been about a thousand of these reported cases of schoolgirl poisonings uh, across Iran, really, since November, which is about two months after nationwide anti-regime protests led by women and indeed young girls, uh, began and indeed is bravely continuing. Um, the regime has been forced into by parent pressure, by uh, social pressure, by street pressure into conducting an investigation. Today, the country's supreme leader uh, talked about those poisonings for the first time ever. But it's highly likely uh, that if there is any investigation by the government of Iran, it may uh, aim to avoid blame or point a finger elsewhere. 
We'll continue to focus on, on that story, uh, but I want to switch you to another story, Iran's uh, advancing nuclear program. Uh, as you know, the IAEA, the UN's nuclear watchdog, found on an unannounced visit to one of uh, Iran's nuclear sites, uh, enriched particles up to 84 percent. Why is that significant? You know, 84% is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from 90%, which is the purity you need for weapons-grade uranium. And many may remember from about a decade ago, uh, people were trying to stop Iran enriching to any level, 3 to 5% even, uh, on their own territory. What the 2015 nuclear deal tried to lock in and cap was just under uh, that 5%. But really, in the past two years, the regime has resumed enrichment to 20% purity, which is considered highly enriched, by the way. And then in April 2021, the month talks actually restarted uh, indirectly with the Biden administration. The regime went to 60 percent purity, something it threatened to do a decade ago, uh, but never felt comfortable doing until now. 84 percent is clearly the regime testing uh, the red lines of the West, if you ask me, and perhaps even practicing for a potential future breakout scenario. Uh, the IAEA head, Rafael Grossi, visited Tehran this past weekend, and he said uh, in a press conference in Tehran that Iran would allow uh, the restoration of IAEA cameras that Iran had removed and also work with the IAEA on, on previous cases. But today, Grossi, back in Vienna, said actually uh, that cooperation will defend uh, on future discussions. So how do you think the international community can hold Iran, or Iran to its promises? Well, the problem with the get-go, as the regime is increasing its nuclear output, both qualitatively and quantitatively, uh, it is actually diminishing much of the monitoring. And in fact, uh, Rafael Grossi, before the IE board today, talked about that they still don't know, uh, you know, where Iran is making centrifuge rotors and centrifuge bellows, as well as uh, exact heavy water output, as well as several other technical components uh, that go into the regime's nuclear program that were supposed to be monitored and were supposed to be governed uh, by safeguards. The moment after Grossi departs, you've had a host of Iranian hardline media outlets and uh, people affiliated with the hardline establishment inside Iran uh, talk about how the things Grossi had said uh, were agreed upon were actually not true and walking it back. So it makes sense that Grossi said much of these hinge on Iranian political promises. The challenge is that's always been the challenge with the Islamic Republic. It's always voluntary and it's always political, which means the regime remains in the nuclear driver's seat. When it comes to U.S. policy, the U.S. has a choice right now whether to censure Iran in front of the IAEA Board of Governors. And overall, the U.S. has argued uh, that it has taken steps to deter Iran and prevent further Iranian attacks, including one on Saudi Arabia. Let's take a listen to the National Security Council staff's top official on the Middle East, Brett McGurk. In the last two years, the United States has acted militarily against threats from Iran and its proxies. We've enhanced the deterrent capacity of our partners, established new and innovative maritime domain awareness networks, and at times, through close cooperation, exposed and deterred imminent threats to the region. And just last month in the Eastern Mediterranean, as many of you know, we held the largest joint military exercise ever in that part of the world, something that uh, our adversaries certainly noticed. Do you think Iran has gotten the message that Brett McGurk believes the U.S. has sent? You know, all those things are necessary but not sufficient from deterring Iran and from changing the regime's calculus. The cadre of men at the helm today are ultra hardline, and the things that they remember are actually the U.S. withdrawal from Iraq, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, you know, besting America in Syria in recent years, if you will, showing that the regime has greater staying power uh, than the U.S. Uh, in the heartland of the Middle East. 
continuing to find new and innovative ways to proliferate weapons, not just the Middle East, but as you see now with tightening military ties between Russia and Iran, drone proliferation to the heart of Europe even. Uh, so all those things are necessary but not sufficient. Uh, to change the calculus on the nuclear file, uh, a resolution of censure is the price floor. You need Security Council referral and ultimately a snapping back or a restoration of tougher multilateral sanctions that used to exist prior to the 2015 nuclear deal. Uh, that option is only legally and politically available to America and Europe until 2025, uh, and then it actually dissipates, it goes away. So if increasing military threats by the regime, increasing domestic suppression, and increasing nuclear escalation are not sufficient to trigger that mechanism, my question for the administration is, well, what is? Ben Humben Talablu, thank you very much. Thank you.